Hi, I'm Lise Wheel, and this was Pursuit of Justice. In 2001, Kathleen Peterson was found dead at the bottom of the stairs in her North Carolina home. That's a home she shared with her husband, then novelist Michael Peterson. Yes, if this, if this case sounds familiar, yes, you've heard about it in the Netflix series called The Staircase. This case has taken many twists and turns. And if you saw Netflix Staircase, well, then you'll know David Rudolph, my guest. If you haven't seen it, I know you're going to run out and see it after this interview. I hadn't seen Staircase, the series, but boy, did I binge watch it before the interview with David Rudolph, who's coming up next. Did he do it? Did he not? Hmm. What do you think? Let's listen in to my interview now with David Rudolph, who defended Michael Peterson. Remember, his wife, 2001, Kathleen Peterson, was found dead at the bottom of her staircase. So excited to have with me here on Pursuit of Justice, David Rudolph with Rudolph Weidenhouse Law Firm. David, so great to have you on Pursuit of Justice. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, David, I have to tell you, and this is n uh, no slight to you or the case or anything, but I have to admit to you that uh, before I knew I was going to have you on the podcast, I had not seen the series on Netflix. I had not even heard of this case. Um, so again, no slight to you, but I came to the case and the series a newbie when I watched it, and I promise to you, and I, I know we're just sort of meeting over the podcast here, but I promise to you that I did not Google it. I did not uh, look at what had happened, no spoiler alerts, no nothing. I just started watching and watching fresh. So my questions to you are coming to you fresh um, from Good. just watching. Yeah, <laughs> Best way. Yeah, right? Exactly. Um, and I just want to say one trial lawyer to another, one lawyer to another, that watching that scene of you um, in when you were getting ready for the first day of trial, and it's uh, the evening before your opening statement. And folks, if you've watched The Staircase, you'll know what I'm talking about, where you are um, it's 7.20 at night, and you're in the courtroom, and the, and the clerks have uh, kindly allowed you, well, they kind of have to allow you, kind of get ready, get all your exhibits ready, and you're getting ready for the opening statement, and it, it, it's tense, of course, and you've got this poor guy um, that's with you, and he's putting together the slides because you want to be able to point to the, um, you know, the jurors as you're going through the slides, you know, be able to point to the family and pictures and everything, and he's one slide off. And it just, you're getting upset. And as well, you should be. I just, I just like almost was screaming at the television going, oh my gosh, I understand your frustration. Well, and it wasn't just him. If you remember, uh, uh, the phone was going off. Yes, uh, so, fire you know, alarm I'm, or something. I, 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 well, first his phone was going off. Oh, yeah, that's right, his phone. I, and, yeah. I, and I asked him to shut it down, and <laughs> then it went off again. Uh, and then he's getting the wrong image up, uh, and I tell him what I really want, and he asks me another question, which indicates perhaps he really wasn't listening. And then the sheriff comes in and says, there's a fire alarm going off. <laughs> 
and I'm going to have to leave the, the, the courthouse because of the fire alarm. So it was sort of a cascading series of events. Uh, and when I look now, it wasn't funny at the time, I have to say. Uh, but when I look back on it now, it's almost sort of like a comedy skit of, you know, what else can go wrong? Uh, and uh, it was, uh, as you can tell, I didn't, I didn't exercise any editorial control over what was in the documentary because uh, I'm pretty much ranting at that point. Yeah. Well, how how did it come to be that the documentary happened from the very beginning like that? I mean, it must have come to you from the very beginning and said, we want to be following and watching you. And you must have said, OK, from the very beginning. Well, actually, they, they came to me quite uh, uh, through a circuitous route because they were just looking for another case to do. And, and they called me just asking if I knew of one, not knowing about this case. And I said, well, as it happens, I just got a new case. You know, you, do you want to hear about it? And they did. And and we talked, and I thought they were just going to do a traditional, you know, sort of two-hour documentary. Uh, but they made it clear to me right from the start that they wanted to do sort of a, a behind-the-scenes sort of documentary. Uh, and and obviously there are privilege issues that, that we were concerned about. There right. were issues re- relating to whether the prosecution could get a hold of any of these tapes. But after we worked through that, what, what really struck me was that it was an opportunity for me to show people what criminal defense lawyers actually do as opposed to what Nancy Grace may uh, say we do. Uh, and, uh, you know, to sort of correct some of the stereotypes uh, that people may have gotten from watching popular fictional movies or TV or whatever. Uh, and, and I have to say that, that the response I've gotten since it started airing has been really, really positive in terms of people really getting a better feel for what criminal defense lawyers do. Good, 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 good. I think that's that's fabulous. On that, I want to point to another moment that was shortly after, this is all sort of prior to the trial starting, where now we go to, to Mike's point of view, and, and Mike is sort of musing to himself, and he says, well, the prosecutor wants to win. And then he says, um, David wants to win too. And then, and then in, in a moment that was just really very sort of self-reflective and, and, and you know, very inward and self-reflective, he says, I want to win, but I want the truth too. And he, and he was sort of like, not just any slight to you, David, but it was almost like, hey, you lawyers, you guys just want to win. And, and the truth has been lost here. What did you think upon seeing that moment when you looked at the, at the, at the actual video itself? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, you know, it's an adversary system. Uh, and by definition, if you're in an adversary system, uh, the way the system is supposed to work is that each side is trying, as you put it, to win. Uh, the difference is... No, uh, I, I didn't put it that way. Your, your client put it that way. Right. Well, yeah. exactly. I'm and he's right. Him. Right. Yeah, no, no, he's right. Uh, but, uh, you know, the difference is that for a prosecutor, the idea shouldn't just be to win. The idea should be to do justice. And Correct. if doing justice is not prosecuting or dismissing a case at some point, then that's the role of the prosecutor. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Michael is right. Uh, you know, but trials are trials are never 
really about the truth. They're about a representation of the truth. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, each side is putting forward the evidence that they think is going to be best suited to uh, to convince a jury. And so all you ever get at a trial is an approximation of the truth. You never get the real truth. Right. And and, and you're correct about what the prosecutor, as a, as a former federal prosecutor myself, I know that that is... Uh what our mandate is, is to, is to uh, discover truth. And if the truth is that the defense didn't do it, then we're not supposed to prosecute. Um, question, the, the DNA expert, or the DNA, uh, yeah, the DNA expert, your expert, was very adamant about saying, about talking about science, because science plays such a big part, a role here. And what he said was, and I've, he said it several times, um, that with DNA, as in science, you don't start with an hypothesis. You, you, you look at science. You don't, you don't start with he did it or he didn't do it and try to prove that. You look at just the science itself, right? Yeah, and, and, and let me just correct you a little bit. It wasn't DNA evidence. It was blood spatter evidence. Blood, blood spatter. Blood, blood, blood spatter, to be, to be specific. You're, you're right. You're right and correct me. But that's, but that's where, where, where one should be, right? You look, you look a absolutely. not and at indeed, hypothesis. The, si the scientific method, if you're really following the scientific method, is you start out with a hypothesis, and then you try to disprove it. Uh, you conduct experiments... Uh, to try to disprove your hypothesis, not to try to prove your hypothesis. So, uh, you know, the, the experiments that were done by Dwayne Deaver were designed to, to reach a conclusion that supported his theory, and that's the exact opposite of the scientific method. Well, question, that, that's right. And Deaver, for those that don't haven't been following or now will be following that with the series after this, listening to this podcast, Deaver is the FBI expert who we don't want to, hmm, let's not, Deaver is an, is an ex FBI expert whose testimony, shall we say, uh, left a lot to be, left a lot to be um, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> desired. Um and uh, he and he testified about the, the the blood spatter for the prosecution. Yes. In in your getting ready for your defense and putting Henry Lee on, you you brought Henry Lee to the crime scene, which of course you would do. But in in your, I want to ask you about this. You you told Henry Lee, Henry Lee, and he's your guy, Henry Lee. The defense says this about the blood spatter, and then you let Henry Lee go. Henry Lee, the, the, the defense says that about the blood spatter, and then you would look at a particular thing. Henry Lee, the defense says X about another blood spatter. Isn't that kind of letting Henry Lee sort of say, oh, I need to disprove what the defense says, I mean what the prosecution said? Well, you know, I, I guess that's that's a, a valid criticism, uh, except that you know you're working in a in a particular world uh, where you know what the prosecution is going to say, uh, and and the issue is well, well, wait, wait, is wait, that valid? David, let me just stop, it, let me it, David, let me just stop you. To be, they'd already said it, so now Henry Lee has to rebut what they've already well 
Let me put it this way. Oh no, 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 no. I mean, Henry came into the case before there was before we had uh, the trial even began. No, correct. So, but this is now now you at the at the after the prosecution has rested. Well, uh, sure, Henry testified after the prosecution has rested, but but all of the theories uh, that were uh, that were put forward were all uh, established well before. And if you remember, there's a scene, uh, there's there's an episode, if you will, where all of the all of the experts that we hired, Henry Lee, uh, uh, Faris Bandak, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, Everybody comes to the house. Right. And all I say to them is, tell us what you think, you know, and and they're in the stairway uh, and they're sort of brainstorming themselves. Uh, And so, you know, you try to as best you can uh, to get these experts uh, early on. Uh, We preserve the scene uh, through through months and months, we actually had a, a cardboard, uh, not a cardboard, a uh, plywood uh, uh, screen that only our investigator was authorized to take down when an expert was there. So we were preserving the scene as best we could. Uh, and, and you asked them to come in and give you advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, is there is there some... Obviously, they know from if they're working for a defendant, they know that, you know, they're there to determine if the prosecution theory is correct or not. Uh, And so that's sort of inevitable. But what you try to do is is hire experts who are not not hired guns. uh, And you try to tell them, listen, I need advice from you. You know, if if you come in here and tell me that what they're saying is accurate, then I need to adjust my defense. You know, I need to I need to go back and talk with Peterson. Uh, I need to I need to think about how I want to conduct this defense. So it it doesn't do me any good, really. It doesn't do any defense lawyer any good, really, to have experts who are uh, sort of coming in and just saying whatever the defense counsel wants them to say. Uh, and that that was never, I think, uh, our goal. Our goal was always to be educated. I mean, that's if, if you're an ethical lawyer, whether you're a prosecutor or you're a defense counsel, what you want to do is you want to be eth- you want to be educated. You want an expert to come in and tell you is your theory, you know, does it hold water or does it not hold water? Right. Uh, and and I think that's that's what any good lawyer is going to do. Okay. And you felt that way that that's what happened with Henry Lee. I, I did, uh, and and uh, you know, look, uh, I, I'm not above uh, uh, being told that I did something uh, that uh, you know perhaps uh, skewed skewed his view. But but Henry's a pretty strong character. Yeah. Uh, and and, and, if, and if Henry thinks uh, that what you what you're saying is not accurate, uh, he's not shy about telling you. No, I only bring it out because I think that for some people it might just be it might raise a. Uh, like, wait a second, how can he do that when he's saying on the other side, you can't do that, right? So I just wanted you really to kind of explain that. And I think sure. that's that totally makes sense. Um, he, Michael doesn't testify. In fact, he says, uh, and we're moving kind of down the trial here. My, so Henry Lee's testified. 
And then there's a scene where you debate whether or not Michael should testify. And at one point, Michael says, just drop it, meaning I'm not going to testify. Just drop it. And as we know, it's really, and as you say to him several times, it's always in the client's purview. This is the one, this is one of the few times where the client in a criminal defense case um, gets to decide matters. And it really is up to Michael. He's the final say, gets the final say on whether or not he takes the stand and testifies. And you make that perfectly clear to him. Um, but in, in, ret- in retrospect, do you wish that had turned out differently? Do you wish that he had taken the stand? No, I really don't. Uh, and, and, you know, we need to put that whole decision into context. You know, we had found the blowpoke. Right. It was, it was covered in, in spider webs and dead bugs, uh, you know, in a, in a corner, in a, in a dark corner, in a, in a basement garage. And, 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 for, uh, and for those listening, the blowpoke is what the prosecutor said was the murder weapon. So, exactly, yeah. from the very start of the trial. So here we're, we're in the middle of the trial. We find it. It's not, it's not missing, as they said. It's not the murder weapon. Uh, it's just there, you know, in a corner in the basement. But conveniently uh, so, found at, at the time of, you know, very conveniently found, the prosecutors might say. Anyway, I have to stop well, you for and, a second. Yeah, and, 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 and they could say that. And, and indeed, that's why we documented it as carefully as we could. Right. You know, we, we brought in a photographer to, to take close-up pictures of exactly where it was before we touched it. We brought the judge out to the scene uh, because we didn't want to be accused of, in any way of obstructing justice or tampering with evidence. Uh, so, uh, you know, we were very, very careful about that. But once we found that, uh, and, and given how well the trial had gone, we just we didn't see how there was not reasonable doubt in that case. Uh, and and so the decision not to put Michael on the stand really was a pretty easy decision in this case as opposed to some other cases. Uh, and, you know, he would have been cross-examined about his bisexuality. Mm-hmm. He would have been cross-examined about Germany. All the all the what we consider to be the irrelevant material uh, would have been brought back to the jury's consciousness during the cross-examination. So for us, it really wasn't a close call. And as I look back on it, uh, I would do exactly the same thing. You said the bisexuality was an irrelevant issue for you. Do you think it was for the jury? No, no. I think, I think that what happened in this case was that the jury, the jury's view of Michael's character, was was prejudiced greatly. And and you know what happens is you know when there's a case that that has reasonable doubt, uh, one thing that that a prosecutor can do uh, is to divert attention from the doubt to the character of the defendant. Uh, and I think that's what happened in this case. Uh, and I think the jury got distracted by that. And you know, it, it helped to sort of cover up the, the, the what I thought were the glaring deficiencies in the proof in this case. You said towards the end, of, I, again, I, I'm not giving any spoilers alert here, but um, you said that this case, and, and you you were been with this case for so long now, but that it's really shaken your just your faith in the justice system. 
um, how, why, and still <laughs> has it? <laughs> Wrapping all of that into one big question, and you can take it apart as you, as you wish. Yeah, no, sure. Well, um, you know, uh, I had been doing this for a long time before before this trial, uh, and uh, you know, you think that you develop a feel for what's going on during a trial, and and not to say that you know for sure how things are going, but you sort of know, as a trial lawyer, I'm sure you've had this experience, you sort of know whether your case has gone well or it hasn't gone well, whether there's been more bad days than good days or right. more good days than bad days. Uh, and so, uh, and it wasn't just me, it was everybody in the courtroom, whether it was the bailiffs, the media, uh, the the clerks, everyone thought that at worst, we were going to have a hung jury. So when that jury came back after five days, um, and, and I guess there's a spoiler alert here, so stop listening. Stop listening uh, if you want to. Yeah, uh, yeah, if you don't want to know. Right. Uh, but Go ahead. when the jury came back, it really did shake my faith, not just in the system, but in myself, and in my perceptions, uh, and in my abilities, uh, and. Uh, it's because this was not a close case in my mind. You know, there's lots of cases where, uh, you know, win or lose, it's not a big surprise to me. Uh, in this case, it was a big surprise to me. Uh, and, and it really did shake, shake my beliefs, not just in, the, in juries and in the justice system, but, but really on a personal level. Well, for everybody, you know, it, it, it's – for what a case, though, I mean, you had, you were – if it, to be shaken, uh, you were watched every step of the way. So if you certainly can look back and have the solace of looking at, at yourself, I guess, and seeing as everyone else has, you did a really marvelous job in this case. I mean, all, every step of the way from here to going to Germany um, to everything, to all of your uh, tactics. I mean, I don't think anybody could fault you for the work that you did. Well, and, and I appreciate that. Um, and, and it's nice uh, that the case turned out the way it did. And again, uh, you know, spoiler alert, alert I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and it's nice to be able to look back. And, and what's really nice, to be honest, is having that kind of feedback. Uh, you know, even from people who watch the staircase and think, based on that, that Michael Peterson is guilty, mm -hmm. even those people even people who, who identify themselves as law and order or conservative uh, say, wow, you know, I didn't realize what criminal defense lawyers do. Uh, and uh, I really have a new respect, not, not just for me, I mean, that's always nice, uh, but also for criminal defense lawyers as a group of people. Uh, and for me, that's, that's a really rewarding uh, positive uh, result of, of this particular documentary. Mm -hmm. the, the work that you do and that what you're, what you're trying to do and, the, and just the sheer amount of labor that goes into it. Um, what is, uh, against what, spoiler alert, we've already done that. Um, what, how is Michael doing and um, what is he doing today? Well, uh, believe it or not, Michael is still living in Durham. Uh, mm. I'm not quite sure why that is, but but uh, that's where he is. Uh, he's doing, 
you know, as well as somebody who has gone through what he went through could possibly do. Uh, he's got his military pension. He's got his Social Security. Uh, you know, he lives in a modest apartment. Uh, he spends time with his family, uh, with his grandchildren, with his kids, uh, and uh, with his classical music uh, and with writing. Uh, and and he's he's uh, he doesn't look back much. I think I think he, he's uh, he's into looking forward, uh, looking ahead, uh, and trying to live his life as best he can. And is he writing a novel about all of this? Well, he he's uh, he's writing, uh, and, right. I'm, and he's certainly writing about this and about his uh, and about his experiences in prison and about the people he met in prison. Uh, you know whether whether or not that ever turns into a book, I don't know. I don't know if he if he really knows, but he's a writer, uh, and so for him to get clarity in his own mind about what's gone on and what it means, I think writing is is uh, is important for him. It's cathartic, if nothing else. It is right, David Rudolph. Thank you so much for coming into the pursuit of justice with me. I really appreciate it, and I'm 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 telling you though, I'm mad at you because you took most of my weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I hope it was... What an interview with David Rudolph. You have to watch Netflix Staircase if you haven't seen it before. And listen, hopefully, now you can listen, open your, open your eyes, open your ears after all those spoiler alerts. Um, did he do it? Did Michael Peterson kill his wife, Kathleen? <laughs>